Welcome to the Business Big Bang Theory, a podcast from the Business Centre where we talk about all things small business. Jonathan Kemp is a founder CEO with over 20 years experience as a systems administrator across a broad array of disciplines. He's held a number of diverse roles from senior positions in large corporations, founding and running several businesses, holding trusted positions in nationally accredited NFPs and NGOs and working for an Australian Defence Force endorsed satellite communications provider. As a founder and CEO of Sydney-based supply chain technology company, Verify, Jonathan engages with the complexities of supply chain functions and dysfunction on a daily basis. Verify deploys unique technologies that protect assets at rest and in transit through the deployment of physical seals and sensors paired to a cloud-based data analytics platform. Platform. Jonathan speaks and lectures globally, actively contributing to a variety of forums on a range of emerging technologies. LOT, biometrics, the protection of critical infrastructure and trends in global supply chain. Jonathan is a New South Wales Cyber Security Ambassador, certified in maritime cyber security through Lloyd's Academy and was recently appointed to the VCare Academy Supply Chain Education and Research Practitioners Board. Jonathan is also the host of Let's Talk Supply Chain, Asia Pacific podcast, where he has the privilege of engaging with practitioners and prominent industry voices from the local region and across the world. We welcome Jonathan to the podcast. Do you have a part-time business that you'd like to take full-time and beyond? Our experienced business advisors can support you in growing your area and making that big bang in business. Contact us at businesscentre.com.au. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Kristen. From the Cybersecurity Culture Program here at the Business Centre Newcastle. This project is funded by the Australian Government Department of Industry, Science, Energy and Resources through the Cybersecurity Business Connect and Protect program. Mark Lewis reported in September this year attacks not only cripple companies but also hurt customers. 80% of breaches involve personally identifiable information, PII. Hackers use PII and passwords to access an individual's various accounts across the web. Additionally, any break in a supply chain, whether it's your business or third or fourth party vendors, impacts the production of goods and services while also driving up prices. So this series will be highlighting a range of cybersecurity issues within business around culture, impacts of breaches, what to look out for, real life stories, where to seek support or report a breach and some easy strategies to start protecting your customers and your brand. It's crucial to be proactive and have strategies in place for protection. So let's welcome today's guest, Jonathan Kempe from Verify to discuss providors and the supply chain. Excellent. Uh, Hey, thanks for having me on the show. It's really lovely to meet you both. Okay. I wanted to ask a generic question about current supply chain disruptions. There's a lot going on and it might be beneficial for Aussie suppliers to understand some of the wider picture ramifications that will affect their exports and overseas markets. Can you help to explain this a little better? Yeah, just to elaborate on that. Well, thanks again for having me on the show to start with. It's lovely to see you both and to be here and for your audience 
audience who's listening along, I hope what we talk about today is very beneficial. If, if we think about a global context, and I think it's important for that because even local distribution is affected by global matters, there is a lot of disruption happening. You know, you, you probably have spoken to a number of providers or providers who are trying to move their goods just around our country, and there's a huge amount of disruption in transportation. Uh, for supply chains globally, there's a container shortage at various places, and there's too many containers in other places. There's ships getting stuck in canals. There's a huge amount of ships moored off LA and LAB, ports overseas. There's a, ma- a massive amount of disruption which has been borne out because of COVID, because of increased demand, and then supply being in the wrong place. And all of that sets the scene for a lot of the conversation that we're having today, uh, because anyone who produces anything, even if they're distributing it regionally or locally, is probably thinking about how do I move that out of the country or how do I move parts of what I'm building into my manufacturing or goods making process from outside of the country into my own production run. And if that's the case, they're probably going to be disrupted over the next six and, and most industry analysts think up to 12 months um, and that, that will come out in a few different ways, but particularly it will change how freight rates impact businesses, so the cost of moving things will increase. Um, and then general disruptions will in- increase costs across the board. So someone who's normally used to moving something from Asia and they'd get it weekly or every couple of weeks and it will cost a certain amount, those timeframes are going to move out and then the cost to move it is going to go move out as well. Um, so a few things for your listeners to think about as they consider the, the market ahead And my advice to them as they consider 2022 is think about what those lead times would mean for your business and think about how the costs incurred need to be factored into your overarching cost model. And coming up to Christmas, it's probably not the best. No. (laughs) Is it? No. It's not not the best time for this to happen. Little Timmy's bike might arrive, but just a little bit later than he uh, he first anticipated. So we should be shopping now. (laughs) There's a conundrum with that. My advice, and perhaps this speaks to some of the the themes we'll touch on about sustainability and other things, is probably start by asking a question, is it necessary? And uh, because if we all actually pull back from uh, over-ordering and we, uh, we only order what we need, uh, will actually solve the supply chain crisis because we'll reduce the amount of goods in mm. in rotation. So, um, so start off with a, a conservative question and work your way towards practicalities. That sounds reasonable, actually. Are you looking to grow your business? We have a fantastic team of experience-led business advisors and online toolboxes that can guide you to scaling your business. You can find all the information at businesscentre.com.au. I read there was a report on some cybersecurity attacks on logistic firms by the security firm Blue Voyant. Not sure if you've read that one, but it noted that the credential theft increased in attacks on maritime and transportation networks and they will continue to grow. So since 2019, the number of cyber attacks on shipping and logistics companies has tripled. With the supply chain distributions expected to cause delays for approximately one month to, you know, up to four years, like you're sort of saying. But I want to discuss more specifically with the Australian providers and the type of interference that can occur when shipping food internationally or even nationally. And if there's any stories that you might be able to share that would go along with that. Yeah, it's a really good question. So we, we, we just to clarify, we expect supply chain disruptions to occur at least for the next year, but the, the time horizon will extend out as the ripples occur, sort of like throwing a rock into a pond. You'll just see them potentially magnify. And a, a lot of the folks who are listening along would very much understand about the bullwhip effect as in, as we drop something in the pond at this end, the waves end up getting larger as they move out from where that rock was dropped. Um, And it's pretty similar to how cybersecurity uh, incidents can affect a business. And we've had a number of different breaches over the last couple of years. 
Some of them have hit the headlines, some of them not so much. And we have a, a verifiable breach notification scheme. So if something happens in Australia and there is a data breach, you're and your turnover is greater than $3 million, I should say, there's a clarifier, you have to actually publicly disclose that the breach occurred. And there's penalties when you don't do that. So some of the folk listening might fall into that category, in which case they need to make sure, just as a, a general tip, that they have a policy in place that addresses that when it occurs. But what I might do is just step back into why any of those breaches or why any of that sort of data theft or handling PII, cybersecurity incidents might be interesting and or affect a business that's listening right now. Awesome. And I'll just say that uh, the digital footprint that your company has is larger than it probably ever has been. And, and what that leads to is not only is it a, uh, adds to, perhaps to some efficiencies or inefficiencies in your business operations, if things go wrong with that digital footprint and an easy one that, that happens or a common one, I should say, that happens is that people steal information that you've accrued over time. Um, it can quite dramatically affect your business and your bottom line. So if someone's in the Provador game, maybe they're moving food around the country, they might be exchanging information with suppliers. As they exchange that information, it's natural to think, well, I gave my customer information to my supplier. They've probably got some system in place to take care of that. And what we're finding is there's that ripple effect involves not just the person who had the information, but also the person they've given the information to. And the onus of responsibility is starting to move its way backwards up the chain. So if you gave the information to someone and your assumption was they're probably taking care of it, that sort of argument doesn't stack up as well as it used to, as in, I didn't really know what they were doing. And so my first tip for anyone who's moving anything anywhere is just ask a gentle question of the person that you're about to exchange your customer information with and say, what systems or processes do you have in place to protect this? Do you have any? Have you thought about that? Where are you storing that information? Is it easily accessible? Do you have passwords in place or an administrative hierarchy in place where not everyone in the organization can get it? Only the people who need to know can get it. And what I'm hitting at there, hinting at there is a few different things. One is the protection of PII, um, so private information that individuals share and exchange, and also some of those the regulatory environment that says, well, you can't just sort of throw that information around willy-nilly and hope that nobody will steal it. You actually have, pro have to put proactive things in place to make sure it's protected. So as an organization that's moving anything, if you're exchanging information, start off with a default policy, which is we do that selectively and carefully, and then ask the people you're supplying it to what sort of policies or systems they've got in place to protect the information that you share. I just would like to clarify, digital footprint, when you speak about that, can you just tell me exactly what that does mean? Sure. So for a supplier these days, um, they've probably, and a lot of Australian suppliers have been doing this, they've moved off a manual paper-driven process and they've moved to a digital system of some description. They could have a, a CRM, a customer management system for the contact they have with their customers. They could have an ERP system, which manages some of the inventory or the planning. They could have a, a TMS, a transportation management system that handles some of their shipments. A lot of those systems now are digital. They're online. They could be up in the cloud. They could be on a private system. Regardless of where they sit, they can be susceptible to cyber attacks. They can be susceptible to breaches. They can be affected by data breaches or you know, a multitude of different things with the trans uh, transfer of information across to different parties. Um, if that's the case, as in if, if someone has transitioned to a digital system, it really means that you have a, a new onus on your business and the business decision makers to make sure those systems are secure. It's no longer something you can just take for granted that I put it up in an easy, easily accessible place and I didn't have to worry about the security that's attached to that. 
you actually do need to worry about the security of it because as we've seen with some of these data breaches and there's been a bunch of them that have happened even though they might be small as in just a few thousand customer records the ramifications for the business are large they can lead to large penalties they can lead to massive brand damage they can reduce your consumer confidence and they can really affect how you trade with other people if people don't trust the information you're sending them and they think that your information that that you've got isn't being handled properly they're less likely to interact with you um, so there's just a few things that are observations and, and tips that businesses can take from what's been happening recently in terms of cyber attacks and breaches so do you find, I guess, if I'm a small business or a business, doesn't really matter, and I am storing information and passing on my customers' details and information, and I would like to say, to say it's yourself and you're looking after part of my transportation and logistics, do, would you be offended if I was to ask you, can you please tell me your policies, procedures that you have in place? Like, is that a, is it okay though to ask that? Yeah, well, I mean, let me put it in context. At the moment, we're all doing this awkward dance and businesses are doing an awkward dance with COVID, which we'll just have to step back and say it's massively disrupted everything. And if people are listening along right now and their business has been affected by COVID, our hearts go out to you. I'm sure it's been very hard for many businesses in your region just to survive. But if we think about COVID, we're going through this awkward dance now where we need to know information that's somewhat personal about people's vaccine status. Um, so we're actually having kind of awkward conversations about deeply personal matters that some people see as very polarising. Um, if we have a tolerance for talking about, say, vaccine status, we should have an equal tolerance to talk about cybersecurity status as well. We should have a tolerance to say this information, which for my business poses a risk to us because we're carrying it beneficially on behalf of our customers and we love our customers, we love serving them, we want them to be protected, we're going to give that to you. We're entrusting it to you. And if that's the case, it's actually fair for me to say, I'm going to give that to you. How are you storing it? Where is it going to be stored? Do you have systems in place which protect our customer information? It's actually a reasonable question to ask. If you find from a business, and I generally say this wouldn't, would be an outlier, but if you find from a business that they push back and they say, well, we can't afford to do that or, you know, it's not our responsibility or you're just going to have to accept our word for it, I'd gently push back on that because if it's a risk to your business, and I'd say for most businesses listening and business owners who are listening along, it is a risk to your business to hold that personal information, then you need to understand what the ramifications of that risk going completely south will be for you and your operations. And if you do the risk analysis on that, and I'd encourage people to do just a really basic risk analysis, as in ask the question, how might this affect us? And that risk is high, as in if something goes bad, it will end up costing us quite significantly, then asking those questions becomes mandatory. You actually have to ask the questions mm. um, because they're very important for your, the continuity of your business. And I think with the new legislation coming through, that will be mandatory, won't it? Well, with the legislation that came through in, in 2017 about mandatory disclosure for breaches also has hinted at, and there's been subsequent chatter since that time, so over the last couple of years, um, that when an audit occurs post-breach or post-event, they'll count back through certain things and they'll ask questions, much like they're asking questions for businesses with COVID, which is what steps did you have in place or what things did you do to minimise or mitigate that threat or risk? And if the question is, 
we didn't try anything. We never asked. We were too embarrassed to. We didn't know what the processes were. We didn't spend just a few minutes just working out what our liability was. We never had a checklist of things that we went through. Then the auditing process is going to be quite painful. And what happens then is the liability gets passed to the company who didn't take any of those proactive steps. And the financial penalties can be quite great. Now, now I just want to say here that if you're running a small business, absolutely know what it feels like to be running close to the wire, to have too many overheads and too much information thrown at you and you're, you're juggling a thousand things at once. And the last thing you want to do is to think, oh gosh, now I have to think of some highfalutin cybersecurity policy for stuff that I don't really understand. I completely understand that. It feels like an unnatural overhead. Um, but what I would simply say to that is think of it like a risk, like any other risk that you're well familiar with and manage it accordingly. So if you're a provador and you're shipping something, and, and let's use a pertinent example that happened a number of years ago, and it's a, it's a horrible thing that happened, but people were shipping strawberries and for some reason, parts of metal and other things were being inserted into the strawberries. If you're a strawberry exporter, that's a massive problem. You know, there's a systems failure at the start and there's a distribution failure towards the end. And then the retailer carries the penalty because people get hurt as they eat that product. That's a huge risk. And I would just say that cybersecurity and your digital footprint and those things that you might be holding with customer information are a similar risk. They're in, a, they're in a different category. They don't feel as tangible, but they can represent a similar risk to you, your organization, your people, and eventually to your products and to your profit. So that's why I'd encourage people to assess it in line with other risks that they're very familiar with and have a risk management strategy in place to minimize those risks wherever they occur. If you have a business problem or question, get in touch with us. We can get our team of advisors and experts to help you with your business problems in an upcoming show. I want to move on as well and just ask about, I will come back to a story because I would like you to share stories because you are very good at those, but it might come into it in a few points down the track. But I want to understand more about the data collection for insurance purposes and how it fits in with the cybersecurity supply chain. Sure. So whenever something moves from A to B, it naturally starts to um, accrue data and it naturally starts to shed data. So as an example, if you've got someone who's listening at the moment and they make a certain product, perhaps it's a, a preserve for, uh, for your toast or, or maybe it's a fruit or a vegetable or, or some sort of meat product that they're exporting or moving around the country. Well, to start with, they'll start um, at the the beginning of the logistics process with sharing information with their logistics provider or third-party logistics provider or freight forwarder, which includes something about the product itself. It might also include something about where the product is going and who's going to receive it and all of the names and information that are relevant to those sorts of things. So straight away, you've got digital information that's available that's being shared with a third party. And straight away, as soon as you've started, it represents a risk of some description to you and your business because that information now has left your domain. It's actually moved outside of your organization. So straight away, now you need to start thinking about, well, if I'm sharing that information, who's it going to? Where's it going? How do they store it? Where does it end up? All of those things that we've already covered. Inside the global supply chain, it becomes even more complicated because as soon as you transfer information overseas, you're talking about a different sovereign risk profile with different entities, which may use that information in different ways and may have completely different methods to store it. And I would just say it's worth you not exhausting yourself trying to work all those things out, but at least have some understanding of what's happening at the other end. If it is going into another location, okay, we're going to send you this information that relates not just to the shipment, but potentially who might be buying it. How do you handle and store that? It's all the same questions that we've already covered off. Um, so cybersecurity as it fits inside of that, just ask the question, 
that whenever you're handling data or information or you're using systems that are detecting things, you're deploying servers that are accruing or storing things, um, you're using management tools or you're um, using uh, an administrative hierarchy to manage how your users access for certain systems in certain ways, how are you doing that? What sort of protections do you have in place or fallback strategies do you have in place when those things go awry? Um, and so cybersecurity sits underneath all of those practices and, and tries to ask those harder questions of if you've accrued it and you're transferring it, you're using it, how is it protected? How is it secure? If you're enjoying our podcast today, make sure you rate and review Business Big Bang Theory through iTunes and follow and share us on Facebook, Instagram or LinkedIn at The Business Centre. Sarah and I have been talking and talking about the trust with the meat exports. Like it freaks me out a little bit knowing that they have to travel so much and far sometimes. But my understanding is that meat is exported frozen and exporters could be charged charging higher prices for chilled over frozen produce but how how would i know that produce is what i'm promised and can you help us understand from a business perspective let's mash together a few topics we've already talked about yeah because cyber attack which happened just recently which took down a north a massive north american company which had an australian subsidiary attached to it jbs just happened in june of this year And when we look at the scale of that attack, which was a ransomware attack, they said, we've got all your data, we've encrypted it, you have to pay us lots of money to get a decryption key. What that did was it shut down operations in North America, it affected the Australian operations over here, and it subsequently sent ripple effects through the entire global supply chain for meat and meat products. That's an example where a company who was possibly doing as much as they could right on the cyber front uh, ran into a problem where they got attacked took down their operations and subsequently meets the entire meat supply around the world got uh, impacted. There's been a huge consolidation in the, in the meat import export market. And JBS is a company, one of the world's largest companies that processes meat. So as we think about this topic, the backdrop for it is an event like that, where someone who is processing meat, they're importing, exporting, they're moving around both countries and internationally gets taken offline And the very price of what you pay for pork or beef products at the counter is affected by that incident. So that's Mm. a stark reminder that we have to get certain cybersecurity things right. Drilling down into your specific question, um, provenance, which is a fancy way of saying where does something come from, has become a hot topic. It's become a hot topic for two reasons. One is people want to say from a brand perspective, this is where I export my my stuff from. So if they're based around Newcastle and the beautiful area around there, Hunter Valley and otherwise, they want to be able to shout that story. We actually send stuff from this protected region, beautiful region of the world, and we want to send it somewhere else. Secondly, consumers are asking the question, where does the stuff come from? And they're asking that because they want to know if it's been sourced locally, if it's been it's been sustainable, you know, how it's been um, exported or moved across the country, and also things like what's its environmental footprint or, or impact. So establishing that, which is a way to say it actually came from here, and then moving it uh, usually involves digital mechanisms. So one way that you can do that to establish provenance is you have a geographic handler, a geographic location that has been marked digitally, and that gets associated with a product. There's a few different products that do that, verifies a company is building something, is about to release it to the market to do that as well. It's both a security product and it assures geographic provenance. It gives you provenance assurance. And as it moves, you can then tell that um, heartwarming and appropriate brand story. 
we can actually know where this thing came from. We know it hasn't been tampered with in transit. And by the time it's got to its destination, it hasn't been fraudulently or otherwise affected by any other external actors who might want to influence or impact that shipment. And so as people think about this as companies, they should start to think, well, I used to just be able to take it for granted that something came from my factory and it moved somewhere else. Um, there's a few more advanced things we have to do now. And as we add digital smarts to some of the movement of those things, the question then needs to become how secure is that digital transfer and how secure is it as we share that information with consumers? So can I ask about Verify then and what is it? Are you allowed to talk about more about what you're doing if you're allowed to? Because I'd love to be able to help our customers when we're working with them explain and why it is important for the cybersecurity because like you say we are in Newcastle we have so many exports with meat fresh produce seafood and especially wines so all the good stuff it would really help jealously regard your region I think down here if I ever sort of eat a steak or sit down and enjoy a glass of red it's probably come from some place which has jealously protected its reputation and and needs to it needs to the regions that produce premium products need to do that. And we've seen all over the country from cherry exporters in Tasmania to chilled or frozen meat producers all over the country or exporters all over the country, um, the need to protect certain things. So at Verify, we've, we believe in holistic supply chain visibility. It starts with the person who's exporting. They generally have the most to gain and the most to lose. And as they export things, they just want to know where their stuff is. They want to know it's secure. They want more information sometimes than their freight forward or 3PL might give them. And if that's the case, um, they should chat with us because what we're building is physical devices. They, they call them IoT devices that secure in particular shipping containers and um, cargo inside shipping containers. And as they move, the people who are most interested in the information that's contained about that piece of cargo, which is generally the person who's shipped it, is given more information than they ever have. So we've spoken with avocado growers and meat exporters. You mentioned chilled versus frozen before. If you're moving something and you can sell it for a premium because you understood its journey, you can tell that heartwarming provenance story, you know it's been secure, then that's where we come in. We actually try and make the supply chain more visible, more transparent and more secure. And we do that with a mixture of hardware devices and also a software platform, which allows you easy access to see where things are and manage those shipments as it goes. That's great. Yeah, so as a business, if I'm doing that, that's great to be able to keep my eye on my my stock, essentially, and that's well, what that's, you're doing. Yeah, what you mentioned before about chilled versus frozen is a classic example of that. So if I could sell my meat over in Saudi Arabia or Middle Eastern market at three times, in some instances, the cost of frozen equivalent. So if I can sell it and it's across the journey, it's been chilled, I need to know it's been chilled and it hasn't gone up and down in temperature. And so monitoring that at the product level and then securing the shipment and knowing where the shipment is becomes hypercritical because the small investment you might make in some technology that gives you that visibility will lead to massive returns at the retail end. And that's why we've had a number of discussions with a bunch of different meat exporting companies. And what we're particularly passionate about, and um, I'm more than happy to, to speak about this literally till the cows come home and then they get processed. <laughs> Bum, bum, bum. What I'm passionate about is, is, protecting, uh, is protecting the Australian brand story. Um, mm. If you're an Australian mm. brand and you want to sell internationally or you want to move things across national borders and you want to know more, then I would ask you the question, well, how visible is your supply chain? And if you want to know more about supply chain visibility, we're more than happy to help. And that's not just to push some sort of product 
I'm very passionate about making sure that Australian exports are sold at a premium, mm-hmm. that we have profitable suppliers, that we have a secure supply chain, and we'd more than, more than love to help people who are in that spe- special spot of exporting and uh, need some more advice. What's your re- reputation, your livelihood? You want to know, you want to make sure that your product is how it's left you and it's going to arrive exactly the same. Yeah. You want to be on the top. Idea. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's safe to eat and safe to consume, yes, safe yes. to share, and, and then sold for an increased profit. And that's, that's what we really are drilling down into is how can we make things more secure? And then for the producers themselves, how can we protect their brands and allow them yeah. to increase their margins? So it really is worth the effort to spend, you know, a day or two sitting down with someone to really nut this out to make sure that you are very visible in what you're selling mm. to be reputable. To map it out with practical solutions. So as we've yeah. mentioned before about risk, there's certain risks that come with not doing that well. And they just need to be known. I'm not saying that we have a panacea silver bullet solution that's going to apply to everybody. <laughs> but certain people who are listening along, they'll be lean, leaning in because I, I know they would have been affected by supply chain disruption or they're paying an excess amount and not getting what they need, which is more visibility. If that's the case, reach out to us and we can, we can probably help. Do you have a business idea, but you're not sure it'll work? We have small business toolboxes and expert business advisors to support and guide you through your startup process. Contact us via our website to find out how. Businesscentre.com.au I know in past discussions that we've had over the years as well, I find, and it's it's not something that we were going to talk about today, but in regards to being visible in where your products are, what is the loss of storage cargo containers how many go missing? What are the numbers for those? And is this a great option to be able to, obviously, if you're tracking your stuff, if your shipping yeah. container goes missing, is this a benefit? Yeah. So, I mean, the products that we are selling into the open market will do over the next six to 12 months. So, going through the iteration stages and trials and so on, we'd love to reach out to folk to see if they can improve their supply chain security transparency and visibility. If there's any, anyone's listening, please reach out to us. We'd love to partner with you. But mi- missing containers happen a few different ways. If they're at a certain place in the supply chain or transportation legs in the supply chain, they can be stolen or tampered with, and they could be rail, truck, or ship. It's less likely on a ship because a ship is generally, they get all locked together and then they're on, on the water for some period of time. Um, but definitely in different parts of the world, trucks and trains get interfered with quite a lot. We've seen a lot of break-ins both over in the US and South America uh, over the last couple of years in particular um, and different parts of Europe as well. Um, So if your product is traveling inside a container, it needs to be shut and should be shut from A to B. um, You really want to know about that. Then that's the the area of focus for us. Um, And what happens when that doesn't work is that your the, the loss of stock or the loss of the cargo itself or the impact on the cargo can be such that it's entirely spoiled or ruined and that can cause an insurance headache for one but it then also means that you don't have something that you're selling which means you need to overproduce to cater for that loss that's occurred in the supply chain and so visibility becomes really really critical as in we want to know what happened to it and just recently the zim kingston which is a, a vessel which was making its way into Canada, recently had a container fire, which happened because all the containers stack collapsed and then it set, set a fire off and a bunch of, I think, 109 containers ended up overboard. That sort of scenario, pretty hard to avoid in totality, but you want more visibility if it happens. And then if you're thinking about insuring your cargo, you want to make sure that when they do their after action report and they say, well, this person was to blame or well, that person should have taken the right procedures, that you're on the right side of the law, that you've actually spent the time, effort and energy securing your own things 
that you've got the feedback mechanisms that you need for your business and subsequently you're not as affected as other people might be if those sorts of accidents occur. All right. Well, apologies if I'm going to ask a question that you've already covered. Strategies to mitigate these risks. Very, very simply, like for me, who's got no idea, I'm at the beginning of my business. Tell me what to do. Okay. So let's step away from some of those big concepts that we might have just been throwing about. People are listening on and thinking global supply chains and provenance. What's all these things? Let's just drill down into some real practical things that you can do right now. You're running a business. You've got a tight margin. You've got and maybe not, not the greatest access to skill or, you know, a whole bunch of, I said this with absolute affection, with a bunch of nerds who might be able to help you out with your cybersecurity. What should you do? Well, here's a, just a few tips. I'll give you three of them. Start off with managing your passwords well. If you're connecting to different providers, if you're using a phone to transmit information, if you're sending things backwards and forwards, they probably have passwords that need to be secure and probably long and complicated. Use a password manager to do that so you don't have to remember all these different passwords. I won't name them specifically, but if you Google for a password manager, you'll find one out there that will allow you to use one master password and all of your other passwords can be complicated. I think, I don't know if anyone who's listening on is similar, I think I have about 400 passwords. I could never remember all of those. And I'm not going to use my cat's maiden name with my mother-in-law's date of birth continuously. We probably should use things that are more complicated. Start off with a robust password policy. That's my first easy tip. It's, one, it's a win you can get right under your belt. When I am, let's say, searching for a good password manager, what should I actually be looking for? Like, how do I, like, I don't know anything about anything <laughs> in regards to this. What do I need to actually make sure to protect myself? Because I'm sure that there's plenty online that I can go, oh, that looks great. I'll choose that. But can you tell me some good pointers of what I should be actually looking for? Sure. Well, I point your listeners into uh, a certain direction and Thank I'll you. name two, two vendors who have been independently vetted. I'm not paid to say these names, uh, but have been independently vetted as primary providers, so the sort of top tier providers of these password management system. Uh, one of them is called Dashlane uh, and the other is called LastPass. So I personally use LastPass, L-A-S-T-P-A-S-S, and that's a premium known provider it has never let me down in the last couple of years, and I know a lot, number of people use them. It allows me to securely share passwords with other people such that the passwords that I share with them, they don't even know what they are. They just get to use them inside the LastPass system. Um, there's a whole host of other benefits um, that I could talk about. Okay. Um, but that's, that, they're two examples that people can explore. Thank um, you. Outside of that, there's a few other ones, um, but those are the top two that I'd probably say are, are probably the more popular ones and definitely the most secure. So definitely research, but Excellent. yeah, thank you. That gets us on a... Good start. Okay, second point. <laughs> so second point, I would say do a real simple risk assessment. I don't, yeah. I don't mean call in a top four consultant and write a book on this and get a PhD in risk management. Just do away with all that. Sit down at your local cafe, maybe with a nice new Newcastle-based coffee provider who's <laughs> giving you a, a nice latte um, with your smashed avo toast and sit down <laughs> and work out the things that are going to affect your business. That's what I mean by risk. Um, so don't, don't think about cybersecurity risk and all these other weird highfalutin terms. Just work out if my business was to sink tomorrow because something went wrong, what are those things? And then rank them. So as I'm handling customer data, I probably ha should have a low tolerance for it being stolen or getting lost because that means I end up in a pickle brand-wise and otherwise. Mm -hmm. Work out what those risks are that relate to all of the digital things inside your business. And I mean, map them out. Um, we've got a printer on our network. I don't know what, how it's set up. Maybe I should put a strong administrator password on that. 
I asked an external IT provider to set up our antivirus system. I don't know how it works. I might ask a question about that and just make sure it's up to date. I'm using farm machinery and I know that the farm machinery, because I've been operating on such tight margins, hasn't been physically updated from the vendor in at least five years. That might pose an operational risk that you might need to investigate or take some proactive steps to try and minimise any disruption with that. So my second point is just form a basic risk assessment, work out where things that can fail, and then just roughly prioritise them. As in, if this is a big risk, I need to know more about it. I need to have a plan in place. I need to work out why it's a risk and how it might affect my business. And I need to drill down into some of that detail and match it to my business and operational plan. That's awesome. Thank you. Hmm. No questions on that one. So point number three. (laughs) Point number three is... Work out what things can help your business. So we've talked about two things, which are kind of like disaster mitigation or recovery. There's technologies out there and we're building some of them. There's a bunch of different other suppliers out there who are building them. Work out how you can get a competitive advantage using technology. If at the moment you're using a system which isn't scalable, it's very manual or paper-based, there might be a digital equivalent that can really help you. Obviously, with that, you need to understand its security posture. You need to understand how it might affect your business's operational cadence. Obviously, all of those things are just a given. You don't want to spend too much on something that doesn't give you direct benefit. But there might be systems out there that can really help you. And I'll tell you why it's a good idea to investigate certain systems. When we look at the breach statistics for Australia, and these are mandatory breach data that has to be shared about public breaches and cyber attacks and all those sorts of things, Most of the breaches occur because of the mismanagement of data and information by people. But inside systems, as in was my system attacked, I I went to a vendor, I got a software package, I deployed that, that makes up the smallest amount of all of the attacks. It's something like a ratio of 300% um, versus a very minor amount in the systems category. So what I'm trying to illustrate is that if you're doing things manually, you're sending emails backwards and forwards, Um, the top five reasons why data got shared accidentally are all things like we didn't use BCC. We we forgot to blind carbon copy people. We put all of our supplies in the two field and now everyone knows everyone else's information. Mm. When those sorts of things happen, which are very simple and everyone's probably done it and embarrassingly sent an email to a whole bunch of people they shouldn't have, that's an example of a data breach. And a system assists you not to do that because it inherently protects that information. So my third point is just to investigate technologies which might help your business and also reduce some of those potential cyber risks that you might come across as you deploy those systems into your own business context. That is awesome. Yep. Thank you. Do you have a part-time business that you'd like to take full-time and beyond? Our experienced business advisors can support you in growing your area and making that big bang in business. Contact us at businesscentre.com.au. Is there anything else that you might like to touch on though before we before we shut this one down? Sure. Well, I just, I'd, I'd probably encourage the people listening along to try and think of cybersecurity is, is sometimes a, a bit alluring because it's a bit of an art and a bit of a science. At some point, um, you might talk to someone who, and you might know them personally or there's someone who's approached your business and you might think, wow, this person just said a whole bunch of words that I don't really understand. And I completely understand that perspective. I've been in that position many times where I've been speaking with a vendor or someone who's tried to sell me something and I think, I have no idea what this person is talking about. I'm going to wait till they leave and I'll politely say goodbye and then jump on Google and type into Google, what the heck was that all about? I understand that position completely and I empathize with it. I just want to demystify it a bit. When we talk about cybersecurity things and we talk about risk, there's all these 
technical things that relate to that. Absolutely. And you should invest in a good firewall and work out what your antivirus is and all of those sorts of things. But as I'm drilling down into it and trying to simplify this for businesses, ultimately for your business, there's certain risks that are different to other businesses. And so it's really important for you to understand your own risks and then work out how to mitigate them. Now, some of those might be digital. And so you need to ask experts or people that you know um, of how to minimize those risks. But some of them might not be. They might just be process-related. As in, when Janine Accounts brings information to me and puts it in my in-tray, it just sits there and we don't have an accurate physical filing policy. Well, none of that is digital. It just means that you need to get a filing cabinet with a key on it that not everyone has access to. And so there's certain things that people can do before they even consider their cybersecurity risk that might help their entire business and stop some of these things that we've spoken about, you know, data breaches or leaks or so on. Yeah, cool. So mm. a physical. Mm. I start off simple. I'm just trying to demystify. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because in reality, it starts off quite simple with people and processes and then steps up to technology over time. Absolutely. And uh, I guess what I take from this as well is don't be afraid of cybersecurity. It's just be aware, look at your business. What can you lose? Even if you think you've got nothing, You there's things to lose, of course, and you don't want to go through the headache. And I also find that people like yourself, Jono, is that you have got so many skills and expertise and potentially could be rather intimidating to come and ask, especially if you've been or owned a business for several years and now you're only asking questions like this. You could be somewhat, you know, embarrassed to ask and intimidated. But I personally find that you do not come across that way. And most people in your industry don't either. You're actually very welcoming, open. And Kristen, I think yes, you've asked for that. I agree. Yes, it's been a pleasure to meet everybody yeah. in the cybersecurity industry. Yeah. yeah, everyone's been very lovely. So, yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've found that both locally and internationally. And in fact, Australia leads the world in cybersecurity expertise. And I'm not talking about myself, absolutely not. There's, there's some people that I know and people in the domain who are just incredible practitioners. They're really well regarded all over the world. And one of the reasons for that is they're very genuine. So yeah. we, for instance, have a, a podcast that people can listen to called Risky Biz. The guys who run that podcast are world-renowned because they say it how it is. They're authentic. They actually tell you what's going on. Um, they have a whole segment inside their podcast, which is called Snake Oil, which talks about people's solutions, which may just be snake oil. They might not actually pra- be practical solutions. And there's resources available like that and people available like that, and they really genuinely want to help. And I found that across the board, not just here in Australia, but overseas as well. And when you talk to cybersecurity experts, in particular ones who are making a really big difference, they're genuine people. And uh, yeah, they've, they've been really, really, really helpful. Yeah, so definitely reach out. Well, let's wrap it up there. So thank you so much. And just so I get this right, let's get our password sorted, look at our risk assessment for our business and look at how we can help with the cybersecurity to back everything up. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of different things for people to do. I'm sure there's quite a number of takeaways. And if anyone needs any help or uh, any assistance, do reach out and we'll uh, help as much as we can. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jonathan. And we'll chat soon. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to learn more, we recommend checking out our Cybersecurity Culture Program. This project is funded by the Australian Government Department of Industry, Science, Energy and Resources through the Cybersecurity Business Connect and Protect Program. Whether you have a micro, small, medium or large business, cybersecurity is everyone's business. It's up to everyone to be aware, know how to protect and how to act if breached. 
Feel free to reach out and connect with our cyber experts to review your cyber fitness, strengthen your cyber security, and implement strategies that will help protect your customers and your brand. Call the Business Centre on 49257700 or connect via our website, businesscentre.com.au. If you wish to connect with Jonathan from Verify, contact us at the Business Centre and we'll pass on your inquiry. Thanks for listening to the Business Big Bang Theory podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast today, please review and rate us through iTunes and follow and share on Facebook, Instagram or LinkedIn at the Business Centre. 